I really just want somebody who's going to aggressively fight for me in court. Is that too much to ask? Filing an eviction should not be complicated. There's got to be an easier way. Nothing frustrates me more than having to wait for my attorney to call me back. I need them now. What I really need from my law firm is someone who can provide my staff training so we actually can stay out of trouble. When you have property management problems, we have your solutions. This is the Zona Law Group podcast with the experienced attorneys from Zona Law. Welcome back to the Zona Law podcast. I am Mark Zinman, one of the attorneys with Zona Law Group. I am joined here today with the one and the only, the head of all legal brains for the manufactured housing world, Melissa Parham. Hello, everybody. So, like I'm, I may have made a joke about it, but the truth is you are the person to go to for all mobile home questions in the state of Arizona. And while you may downplay that, that's, that's the way we look at it, at least internally, and I know we hear it from clients as well. So how how'd you get into the manufactured housing world? I still say mobile home world. What's and the story? it's okay to say mobile home world in Arizona since our, our Landlord-Tenant Act does refer to, uh, to mobile homes, not manufactured homes. Uh, but basically, I, uh, I've been an attorney for, I don't know, 10, almost 11, maybe 12 years now. Uh, but uh, I started off doing criminal law, then did some civil law. But my dad, Michael Parham, who some of you may have heard of, uh, was a mobile home lawyer for years. And I uh, began working for him about eight years ago, um, worked with him, trained, learned mobile home law. Um, and now it's all that I do. It's the focus of my practice. Uh, I'm the attorney for Manufactured Housing Communities of Arizona, uh, MHCA. It's the largest uh, owners organization in the state of park owners. And I represent uh, probably most of the biggest operators in the business in Arizona. And so what kind of stuff does that do if you're representing a park owner? I draft legal documentation for them. So rental documentation, rules and regs, leases, uh, assist them when they have problems with tenants, uh, when they get sued by anyone, uh, assist them in defending fair housing complaints, provide uh, general advice to try to stop fair housing complaints from happening in the first place, uh, assist with dealing with abandoned mobile homes, just about everything uh, that a mobile home park could need, I do. Yeah, because I don't think a lot of people realize this, and obviously the mobile home viewers that are in that world understand the sheer scope of that business practice, right? In terms of it's all the way from buying the park itself to dealing with the MH laws, the residential laws. You may have some commercial laws in there as well. It's it's not one set of books. I mean, you have to kind of know everything, right? Yeah, it's it's a it's a massive practice, and I, that's another thing I didn't mention. I do deal with uh, assisting parks in their due diligence or uh, property owners in their due diligence when they purchase a park as well. Um, so there's a lot involved. It's it's pretty different from the apartment uh, industry where you're dealing with you know usually a big complex and there's one set of laws that you have to contend with, and the property manager gets to know what forms to use and. And uh, most situations are, are somewhat predictable. Here, we've got all kinds of different factors to deal with. The property owns the land. The tenants, generally speaking, own their own homes. Uh, after eviction, they often end up abandoning their homes, and that's something else that has to be dealt with through a process separate from the eviction. So I'd say park managers and park owners deal with a lot more uh, varied and uh, just more legal situations than, uh, than apartment managers do. All right. Uh, you had said before, I don't think you've really jumped in too far, but you were at another firm before you joined us at Zona Law, right? And you've been with us eight years now? I think just about. I think I started around 2012, late 2012. It's amazing, isn't it? It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so between another firm before that, you didn't say it, but I know it. You were also at the Attorney General's office, right? Yes, yes. I did uh, criminal appeals, worked on some death penalty cases uh, while I was at the Attorney General's office. Do you like this area more? I do. I actually do. <laughs> Why? 
Um, you know, to some extent, it's it's less depressing than criminal work, although it, it sometimes is depressing. It's amazing uh, things that tenants do and say sometimes, and occasionally that landlords do and say. But you get to help your clients, right? I mean, you're talking to your clients. They rely on you for all of their legal answers, correct? Yeah, it's, and it's varied. Every day, there, there are new questions that I haven't heard before, new things to research, new things to see what are other states doing, or how are other park operators in other states handling this. And that's got to be especially true right now in the era of COVID-19, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So everything is changing day to day. We have obviously the CARES Act on a federal level. We've got Governor Ducey's executive order 2020-14 on a state level. So where, what have you been advising across the board? You know, we're going to discuss the most recent things because today is effectively restaurants are open day, mm-hmm. May 11th. Uh, but prior to that, how are you advising clients in mobile home world in terms of the executive order, CARES Act, evictions, everything? It's funny, I just had a conference call with a client about all of this today. Um, basically, with every client, I always start with the question of, are you covered by the CARES Act? And some still don't know what that means. So we have to go into, do you have a federally insured or federally backed multifamily mortgage for your park? Um, if you do, then you're covered by the CARES Act's eviction moratorium, which means really you can't serve a non-payment notice and you can't file a non-payment eviction for 120 days from the date of that executive order. I think it's up July 25th, I think I calculated yep. Um, or I ask if they have Section 8 or another housing assistance program in the park. Most mobile home parks seem to not have Section 8. Um, they just haven't really participated. It's kind of complicated when the tenant owns their own home, it's just running the space. Um, so I'll first ask, ask if they're and trying to figure out if they're covered by the CARES Act. Um, if they are, they really can't deal with non-payment cases. And I've got some clients whose entire portfolio, portfolios are covered by the CARES Act. Um, once we figure that out, if they're not covered by that, then we turn to the executive order. And, and for us, it applies pretty much the same way it does for, for residential communities. Um, the park can still do the eviction, um, so it can still, if they're not covered by the CARES Act, just the executive order, they can still serve the notice for non-payment or whatever the other issue is. Uh, they can still pursue it through to eviction if the tenant doesn't cure the violation, and they can still seek to have the writ executed. It's just that's when the executive order may come into play. Um, we're seeing tenants, there's a form, it was created either by the courts or by community legal services, I'm not sure. Um, but there's a form that was created for tenants that they can use to tell their landlord that they believe that they're covered by the executive order. So we're seeing a lot of these forms where tenants will say, oh, I've lost my job due to COVID, I've lost income, or I have COVID. Um, but usually what, what we're seeing, at least, is they'll just fill out the form and then they don't provide any other documentation proving those claims. Well, and that's where we're jumping in, at least uh, as us as the attorneys in zone of law. We're being aggressive for our clients in terms of, I mean, today alone. So when a tenant objects or says, no, I'm affected by COVID and I want to delay the writ, the attorneys, the plaintiff, can file a motion to compel. Right. And like I said, I was about to say, at least, is today alone we had four hearings on motions to compel where we're asking a judge, hey, look at what the tenant's showing and we think there's something fishy here that they really don't aren't supposed to be protected by the executive order. And so that deals on the eviction side. And obviously, we've had other podcasts. So generally, the podcast we've talked about with CARES and with executive order of 2020-14, the residential side, it applies the same way to the mobile home side, correct? Exactly. Yeah. So then let's go to the most recent executive order. Where are we with hair salons, nail salons, restaurants, bars, gyms? What's the status day? What is today, I guess? Well, today is, I suppose, official restaurant day. Um, Restaurants in Arizona were allowed to reopen. They're supposed to keep uh, physical distancing in mind and have sanitation protocols that comply with the CDC's guidance and with the Arizona Department of Health Services guidance. Um, But restaurants, as of today, could reopen to to dine-in service. I'm finding, and are you hearing this a lot from your clients as well, the zone of clients, of they immediately think then, 
that they should open all, all communities, so uh, amenities? I'm suddenly getting a lot of questions, especially I think because it's because it's hot out all of a sudden. I'm getting a lot of questions about the pool and a lot of statements saying, well, in Florida, we have our pools open. Or in California, I heard we can open all our pools. Can I open my pool? I don't know why people are tying restaurants to pools, but I'm getting a lot of that question. And then parks are starting to think about, can I open everything? So, so what is pool? What's the short line rule that you, you're telling clients right now? As of right now, the governor has not issued anything allowing pools to reopen. So the the executive order that he issued previously that said that uh, basically any public or semi-public pool has to be closed, that remains in force. We don't have anything from the governor lifting that as of yet. So parks, I'd say, need to keep their pools closed because of that. And what about gyms then? I think gyms would really fall under the same same criteria as pools. Um, I think there's they haven't been allowed to reopen in Arizona by the governor. They're considered still a non-essential business. Um, there's nothing that the governor has issued that would allow gyms to open. Uh, therefore, a, a gym in a community in a, in a mobile home park should stay closed as well. There's there's too much risk right now, particularly with the governor not having issued anything specifically allowing them to open. Yeah, and I think for me, that's the critical part is technically, I mean, we're on private property. It's not like a gym that's open to the entire public where they can rent it out. Theoretically, a landlord could make the argument, oh, well, that part of it doesn't apply to me. But if in a gym, people are running on machines, they're touching machines, they're coughing, they're breathing hard. There's a lot of cleaning that's going to have to be done to address how you handle that is, and also how many people you can allow in at one time. So, I'm assuming you're working with clients, as am I, in terms of advising them to get their steps ready, right, to reopen. Yes. You're talking about new signage, cleaning, products available, what kind of things? Yeah, so we're starting to think about all of that, Um, sanitizing the facilities, making sure that before you even consider opening anything, that you've done a a very thorough cleaning, a very uh, very thorough sanitization of, of any facility that you're thinking about opening. Um, and then starting to think about if you do reopen facilities, what will that look like? How will you limit, if, if you ultimately open your gym, um, how are you going to limit that to, I think the, the White House's recommendation was, was 10 people or less. Um, so how are you going to limit your gym to that sort of usage? Most parks don't have really probably enough employees necessarily to have someone standing at the gym and standing at the clubhouse and standing at each facility making sure not too many people are inside. Um, so start thinking about how are we going to limit access, um, signage to post, maybe posting the CDC flyers and guidance around the park, posting signs at every facility that say use at your own risk so that it's it's clear that tenants know that there's a risk and that when they use that facility, they're taking a risk um, by still using it. Um, considering how to clean after each person uses an amenity, particularly like you said with a gym, if you're considering opening that. How are you going to make sure that the equipment is wiped down very thoroughly after each use? Oh, I mean, I see it in my gym now. I mean, well, before when I went to the gym prior to COVID-19. An illegal they gym had the wi- <laughs> They had the wipes out there, but I was probably one of the only people that ever actually wiped down a bike yeah, if I was using so it or the gross. treadmill. I mean, it was just not sanitized very well. Now I think properties should be much more aware of putting out hand sanitizer, putting out wipes where they can be used more. But then the managers, I mean, it's, it's an extra thing they're going to have to worry about is they're going to have to take extra steps to clean as well, maybe hiring third-party vendors or doing something else. So the question I'm seeing a lot now, though, is from clients is saying, what if I just sign, have create a new waiver, right? Kind of a disclosure, use at your own risk across the board, all amenities, maybe this like all-encompassing greatest waiver ever global. What's, what's your thoughts? Well, I just drafted those, um, one of those for a client. Um, so I'm kind of torn on the waiver issue. I think 
It's a good idea on one hand. I do think it's a good idea. Um, mainly the, the one that I drafted, the, the focus for me was really warning the tenant before they use a facility of here are the risks. Um, and I pretty much took all the language from it straight from, from guidance issued by the CDC. I put in links to the CDC's guidance and website and to the Arizona Department of Health Services website um, and, and just tracked the language there to make sure you've got proof that you warned the tenant if they've been living on Mars during all of this and they don't know what COVID-19 is, that you've told them what it is, you've told them what the symptoms are, that they need to be healthy, that they can't have a, although they're asymptomatic carriers as well, so we mentioned that, um, but that if they have a fever, if they have any symptoms, don't use the facilities, and then here are symptoms that COVID-19 causes, it can cause death, um, just a, a very uh, bold and plain warning explaining the risks. Well, yeah, but it's, and I think it's important to say, like, we do this, right? We're paid to be the neurotic thinker like six times down the road of like, what's coming? Okay, well, here's a waiver to address this. I think it's still important for a lot of clients to recognize that it doesn't necessarily mean you're automatically liable, right? I take the position is it would be very hard for a tenant to show that the landlord somehow was negligent and that they, as a result, got COVID-19. I mean, there has to be that connection to create the liability, correct? It probably would be difficult. My, my concern is if so I think a park that opens its amenities, they need to take extra steps. Because if, if a park were to just say, all right, it's at your own risk, we're opening everything, go to town, and take no protocols, do no extra cleaning, you're not taking people's temperatures, um, you're not warning tenants really, you may, maybe just have an at your own risk sign, but you don't, uh, I don't know, say you let 100 people use the clubhouse for a party, and then someone gets COVID-19, assuming we actually ramped up testing here, if the government were ever to start start to do contact tracing, there's a risk that they could trace an outbreak back to that party at your facility. Well, that's so, a, interesting, though. And I, this is why I always tell, especially for like the associations, for people to look to MHCA, for example, to be the leader in terms of when things start opening, right? Because if people are more on the same page of, and they have that guidance from the association, and MHCA is really good about that and getting that information out to its members to ensure that, like, if there was one park that was the first park that said today, like, they're going to open their pool, they, I think, would be very much more a target for that kind of liability. Mm -hmm. Whereas everyone, if they're on the same page saying, okay, this is when we're coming back, this is when it's safe, it's a much more protected situation. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. And and uh, I think we were saying earlier, when you deciding when to reopen, you really want to be following what the governor is doing and what the federal government is doing. So if the governor hasn't said, all right, gyms can reopen or semi-public pools or public pools can reopen, you don't want to be going against that. You want to track what the government says. That's going to help absolve you, of, hopefully absolve you of liability down the road as well. You said something interesting, though, before, because it's not something that we deal with in the residential side as much. Use of clubhouse by their residents, Right. Why is that such a thing in the mobile home world? Like, how is that? It seems to come up a lot more than it does people are reserving the space, using it for tenant associations. Where does that come from? Well, um, in parks, a lot of parks, we have a lot of 55 and over communities where a big uh, part of living there is go doing activities in the clubhouse. And, of course, that's that's just gone down to zero during this. But there are parks where they have bingo in the clubhouse and all sorts of events. Um, and then our Mobile Home Parks Act also actually allows um, if the facility is available for a tenants association to have a meeting in the clubhouse. So the park actually has to allow that, correct? If they do have a clubhouse, not all parks have a clubhouse. So if they don't, they, they, you know, they can't. But if they have a clubhouse and the facility isn't otherwise reserved, then the law actually requires them to allow a, a tenants association meeting, for example, to happen in the clubhouse. So uh, what have you thought of for your clients um, and all the zone of clients actually for handling clubhouses then for the reopening of the clubhouse. That's a concern as well. Um, I'm, uh, thinking about it, I'm thinking 
again, you want to track what the governor is allowing. Um, he hasn't opened non-essential um, businesses yet. Um, I think we have curbside pickup at retail establishments. Um, yeah, that was May 8th, I think, that yeah. May 4th and 8th. Yep. Um, I don't think all non-essential businesses have been allowed to cl- completely reopen yet. Um, once that's allowed, maybe consider allowing clubhouse use but limiting the number of people allowed in the clubhouse. Parks could, could consider a mask requirement if there are going to be meetings. Um, until that's allowed, my thinking is maybe for tenant meetings, you know, explain the risk um, that the virus is still there, that the facility isn't available at the moment, um, but encourage tenants to have Zoom meetings or those sorts of things. Um, and tenants can even have Zoom meetings without, um, without having a computer. They can be done over the phone. So maybe encouraging if tenants want to have a meeting and the clubhouse isn't available yet, explaining there are other ways to, to do that, basically to try to save the park from liability for, uh, for potentially telling tenants they can't have an association meeting. Yeah, because as you said, the, mo- the Mobile Home Act requires that if they have a guest, uh, the clubhouse, that they have tenants that are able to use it. So their position, though, is if they close it, I don't think that that provision applies, correct? If it's just simply quarantined or closed off, they don't run into that liability yeah, under I'd the statute. Say, yeah, I would say that the argument would probably be that the facility isn't available at that time because of a global pandemic, which I think is a, a good excuse and, uh, and not an excuse, but a good reason to have the facility closed. Yeah, and I think it's important to also realize that while it hasn't been passed yet, there's discussions down at the legislature um, that there is a possibility for the legislature to look at actually starting proposing protections legally for companies that do, you know, that do open whether or not those businesses should have liability to the consumer. But none of that law has been passed yet. And it is being discussed in Arizona. I know other states, I think Utah has actually passed a law similar to that, basically saying the businesses have protection. We don't in Arizona. So until that type of law is passed, and I don't know if it'll pass or not, there is that liability you're talking about, right? There's that risk. Yeah. And that's why I think you don't want to just say, all right, we're reopening. It's the Wild West. Come on in. Because there is a risk. There's a risk that, that something could be contact traced back to, to the park if they just allow people to congregate um, and an outbreak happens. And so that's a good reason to say, okay, you can't have the 100-person tenant meeting in, in the clubhouse right now. Uh, you know, maybe in a few months, or you can do a Zoom meeting, but it's a good reason not to just reopen the facilities without careful consideration. And, and so how are, the gover- governor says it's okay. How are ha- parks handling their offices right now? We have most of my clients, um, sort of one by one, and then then all all at once after a few did it, um, have gone to contactless offices. And this was easier for some operators than others. Um, but basically, they've they've closed in the offices to protect the employees as well. Um, they're doing everything by phone, uh, doing a lot of communication by by email and through online portals. There's sort of a lot more parks coming into to using online portals. Um, and for rent, if the parks haven't already adopted um, online rent payments or automatic withdrawal type payments, um, some of my clients put basically a sealed locked Dropbox out front if they didn't already have one, and they'll take rent payments through the Dropbox instead of personal contact with the manager. Yeah, and I mean, no one would ever want to go through this. The epidemic is horrible. What it's done to business is just horrendous. But there is some sort of light coming out of it in terms of people are open to more uh, ideas, more creative creativity, pushing the envelope, right? In terms of starting to go online. A lot, I feel like a lot of communities in the past didn't go and allow payments online, but they're now doing that. You, you've been working remotely a lot as well, correct? Yes. I mean, things that we would never have thought to be able to do when these kind of things, you have to figure out how to get them to do. You have to make it work well. And I think the most of the communities, at least that I've talked to, and it's probably a sliver compared to what you are, 
are really adapting pretty well. Yeah, and I, I'm a little bit surprised. I haven't seen too much pushback from tenants for new methods of paying, for paying online where or using a, a credit card and paying online, whereas before they would always bring a check or a money order to the office. Um, so I think it's it's helping a lot of parks, not that there's anything good about a pandemic, but it is bringing a lot of parks the, the ability to do a lot more uh, online and not in person than they, than they could previously. Yeah, so... There will be change, I'm assuming. More executive orders probably coming down the pike as this thing changes. Uh, there are going to have to be dealing with, uh, with pools and with, um, with gyms and basically with, with all of the different types of amenities that parks have. Um, so, again, parks really just want to wait for, for guidance and more executive orders from the governor before they, they make their decisions on what to do. And when they do, we'll definitely bring you back here and give them mobile home update in terms of where we're going, what our clients can do, and really just continue to give the advice that you do on a regular day Calls, emails, I'm assuming. Pretty standard day for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, lots of emails now. Probably more emails than calls. But uh, but I'm taking calls as well. So if, if you need to need to speak to me, uh, give me a call at the office, and they'll transfer you over to my home. My kids might be screaming in the background, but I will uh, do my best to mute myself when that happens. Well, there's <laughs> maybe the next podcast we'll get into the story of the triplets. But <laughs> thank you so much for being here on the podcast today, and uh, we look forward to another Zona Law podcast. All right. Thank you.